Hi there, global citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from Brooklyn again. <laughs> Yeah, I can be a little silly sometimes. It's a wonderful prelude to the weekend. It's a Friday. It's quite cold and chilly, and you all know how I feel about winter. But, you know, we're just taking it in stride because we are in the midst of Black History Month where we all just love to shine. And I think my guest, which is the part two of our part one on Black Mixolence, is joining me. I'm so excited. In part one of our conversation, I spoke with Tamika Hall, who is a freelance writer, content strategy manager, and a mom who is New York born and bred, but now is based in Jersey City. She came to work and collaborate with my now guest, who has worked with numerous spirit brands, celebrity chefs, cocktail bars, and industry experts across the globe. He starred in The Cocktail Kings on Discovery Channel, where he traveled around the world creating bespoke cocktails to reflect their destinations. In his current role, he oversees fostering brand advocacy for the Bacardi USA brand portfolio. His expertise and spirits knowledge has been featured in Imbibe, Complex, Wall Street Journal, Time, and Cocktail Lovers Magazine, to name a few. So together, they have co-authored Black Mixolence, a comprehensive guide to Black mixology as a tribute to the contribution of Black and Brown mixologists to the spirit and mixology industries. Colin Asaria Pia, welcome to the podcast. Wow, that, that was an introduction. Thank you so much for having me on Global Citizen. About time to... It's great being here, and I, I've been looking forward to this session for a while now, and thank you for making this happen. And as it's Black History Month, I think there's an opportune moment for me to get involved and be here uh, with you. So thank you. Yes, wonderful, wonderful. So let's jump right in, and let's start with where are you from, where are you local, and what is your craft? Wow. Now, whew, you ready? Yes. I am from Ghana. I was born and raised in Ghana, in Kumasi and Biposu in Ghana. And from there, I moved to London at the age of seven, and I had my secondary socialization in sunny London town, hence the accent, because otherwise I'll be speaking like this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Charlie. <laughs> I can when I need to. And then from there, I moved here to New York. I was dragged here kicking and screaming by my wife, Louisa, <laughs> who refused to move back to London, where she's from. So I followed her. I mean, the things we do for love, right? Yeah. So now I'm based out of New York for the foreseeable future anyway. And what is your craft? Well, I always say that my role doesn't necessarily dictate who I am. I am a community builder and I use my talents that I've gained through my life experience to ensure that I build community. The work I do on a day-to-day basis is I'm the director for multicultural and LGBTQ plus advocacy for Bacardi brands. And we ensure that we intentionally turn up in the industry in the right way because representation matters. And we need to make sure that there's enough black, brown and queer faces in the organization who can talk to their communities and who represent their communities who is also excellent at their jobs. So, yeah, that's us. Okay. So how does a small boy from Ghana (laughs) make it into the spirits world? So, you know, tell us about the journey of like really kind of embracing like just friends, just background. 
of course, columnist from Ghana, and we are fellow country, <laughs> we are fellow country women and men. Yeah. And so we've met here in New York and just kind of in the, I mean, many, many years of growing up together, seeing family come together and all those things. So, you know, you came to New York as someone who, you know, you had to navigate immigration, number one, and then, you know, again, establish yourself. So how does a young boy from Ghana become a man that is a spirits expert? I mean, the foundation is always family, right? In our community, we were lucky enough to be surrounded by fellow Ghanaians growing up in, in London and as immigrants in, or as I like to say, expats in another country. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> when the Brits move, they're called expats. Sure, uh, exactly. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, as an expat in London, it was nice to have fellow Ghanaians around who we leaned on for support. Education was a big part of my parents' mantra into how one develops. So, of course, it's always pushed in our household. So I basically went and got all the papers that I needed uh, to say that, yes, I'm a qualified uh, global citizen with my degrees and so on and so forth. And then went to, I happened to, after I finished college, I went to Greece for to find myself, as I told my dad. <laughs> he didn't understand what that he meant. Did it. Really, he really did not. I went and did my e pray love moment and I ran out of money, I think, in the first uh, couple of weeks. And I called him back and I asked him for some more money. He said, no, figure it out. And I figured it out. I found mm-hmm. a job in a nightclub picking up glasses and cleaning up, picking up glasses and cleaning bathrooms. That's what I was cleaning up after people. That's all I did for about uh, a month or two. It was interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, But I realized that I really love the interaction with people in that environment. And I used to watch the bartenders uh, work and I realized that, oh, they're creating moments. And I thought, wow, I really want to be able to have that skill. Mm. And it was further down the line when I was actually working with uh, the Naked Chef, Jamie Oliver. Um, he was, we were talking about how we he got into the industry and he said, well, you know, life was about special moments, and he thought that as a chef, nine times out of ten, special moments are based around food and drink. And him as a chef could use his skill set to really be part of that special moment. And so, you know, he said, that's what I do behind the bar. And I really agreed with that. Life's about mm-hmm. special moments and yeah. around food and drink. So just coming back to when I was working in that first bar in Greece, it was an amazing experience. And I remember coming back because I was supposed to have a proper job with um, McCann Erickson. Came down, turned down the job and I dedicated my, I was like, right, that's it. I'm going to be a bartender. Father, my mom and dad were like, what do you mean you want to be a bartender? What is that? You're uh-huh. going to serve people. But you're educated, though. You had a good job. I said, Dad, you know, you said to me, find something you love doing and you'll never work a day in your life. So I found something I love doing and I never work a day in my life. And I really don't feel as if I work a day in my life, you know? I don't view it so much as work, as more of a, a journey. Yeah. Because it's so people interactive for yeah. me, and that's what I've always liked. So it's always just, I wake up every day looking forward to the adventure of the people that I'm going to meet and where is today going to take us? So you decide on this career field and mm-hmm. it's, you know, work your way up kind of field. So the question is, so you got back to London, you landed. Yeah. And so then you now have an industry to navigate, right? So you yeah. have to figure out like, how do I then make my way in the industry? Because 
I guess education is great, but achievement is also something that's very much emphasized in our families and our backgrounds. Mm. And I guess in most people's backgrounds, yeah, but particularly, you know, your family said, oh, you're going to be a bartender. Show us something, right? Yeah. And the interesting thing about that, about show us something, I have appeared in, I've had my own TV shows. I've appeared in numerous yeah. press. Uh, Dad, God bless his soul, still never understood exactly what <laughs> I did, but... <laughs> You know, it is what it is. It is what it is. All right. they know is, all my parents know is that, you know, I'm actually, I'm respected in the industry. People love and appreciate what I try to do and the community I try and build. And they appreciate that, but they don't actually understand what I do on a day-to-day basis. But trying sure. to navigate the industry from when I first came in was mm-hmm. interesting because England is very different. There was myself and my best friend, uh, Douglas Ankrak, God bless his soul. He passed uh, last year, fellow Ghanaian boy. He created mm-hmm. an iconic cocktail called the Porn Star Martini, mm-hmm. uh, which is known all around the world, apart from the US, obviously the US. <laughs> kind of puritanical, right? So they're like, no, you can't call a cocktail that. Oh, is that the reason? Because I yeah, wonder. I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. you can't write that. Imagine trying to send that recipe to a corporate client they'll be like yeah, uh, what true. did that you know, <laughs> the firewalls would just cut off the message straight away you know what I mean right yeah so it's true it's a problem it's yeah so anyway he created an iconic cocktail and there's not many people that have done that in this world so hats off to him but him and I created a training school mm-hmm. uh, called the uh, London Academy of Bartending which then morphed into a bar but prior mm-hmm. to that, he was also, both of us, funny enough, were at college together. Mm-hmm. He went on to run some bars. I came in as well to uh, run some bars. I started as a bartender and worked my way up. The I would say I got lucky because I ended up in a team of mm-hmm. uh, people who, at the moment, at that time, were really focused on the craft of the cocktail and mm-hmm. hospitality. And we were a super creative group. We were young, we were dynamic, we wanted to push the boundaries of the industry. We got a lot of rec- recognition for it. It wasn't easy, obviously. Um, yeah. But as a young black man, I think my cultural diversity allowed me to play with flavor profiles and mm. get experience in a different way. You know, mm-hmm. I'd bring some of my ingredients that I'd have at home, like a lot of the spices and herbs mm-hmm. and stuff that would use at home and cooking ingredients from my mom's pantry into uh, cocktails, which kind of gave me a little bit of a head start. You know what I mean? Sure, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you yeah. Know? Playing around with things like tamarind, for example. People back then uh-huh. played around with tamarind. I'd infuse tamarind with whiskey, use that in like old style, uh-huh. old fashioned cocktails. Subalo, like uh, hibiscus, people weren't really using that back then. We were using that. You know, so, you know, it, it gave us a little bit of an edge, which is great because we knew the foundational piece, but then cultural diversity allowed us to think differently and, and be different. And so did that morph into the Cocktail Kings? Mm, that then morphed into the Cocktail Kings because Dimitri, okay. who was a dear friend of mine from yeah. way back, he ended up, uh, we actually met when... <laughs> The general manager of my bar and the general manager of his bar were great friends. So walked into a bar that he was working in. There's this, um, like, look up, there's this French guy on the bar dancing with his top off, thinking he was all that, you know, doing laybacks and shots and being a man of the house. I was laughing my head off. To this day, I still laugh. Uh, we still laugh about it. Because um, he says, as he says, I can't climb up on the bar anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, we became we became great friends, and uh, he ended up actually managing the lab. And uh, from that, we set up, him and I set up. We saw a niche uh, in a market for cocktails on wheels, basically cocktails for hire, cocktails for events. So we set up an events company providing uh, bespoke craft cocktails for unique and boutique events, which was amazing. Genius, right? Uh, right? Yeah. yeah. They're few and far between even now to this mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I remember him and I one day, we were at the, what was it? It was the BAFTA Awards. Oh. We're okay. doing the cocktails for the BAFTA Awards. And we're okay. both, uh, yeah, fancy. no, it was big, it was fancy. And um, we were at the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, we were downstairs in the basement of the building. All our bartenders are upstairs mingling with the stars and we're doing all the prep and all the back backup stuff and the juicing and this, that, the other. We're doing all the ground work because that's what you do as an owner. Yeah, yeah. What you do. Yeah. So allowing our bartenders the time to shine. So anyway, both of us are sitting there chopping lemons and peppers and chillings and then we just started having this discussion about, hey, wouldn't it be a great idea to do a cocktail show? We travel around the world and we use local ingredients, talked about them, talked about how cocktails bring people together and, you know, just showcase and really, you know, showcase our craft. And it was really funny because both of us started laughing. We were like, wow, I wonder how many people sat in this same space <laughs> talking about these grand ideas where they're going to do this, that and that. Anyway, it kind of sat with us. We we're like, actually, do you know what? Let's just write this down. So we wrote it down on, um, wrote the idea down. I think it was on one sheet of mm-hmm. paper it was literally four paragraphs on one mm-hmm. side of paper yeah and um i spoke to my girlfriend my wife now louisa and she said oh i have uh, some friends who work in production you can should go and speak to them so i said okay so we went to go and speak to our friends in her friends and they said oh we have this woman from a production company that you should go and meet so we're like sure okay why not i mean we've got nothing to lose so the interesting thing about how uh, life works, right? We took her for a drink. We took this woman for a drink in the bar that Douglas Ankara used to run, which is an iconic bar in London. Townhouse. No, it wasn't Townhouse no. at the time. It was the lab, LAB. Oh, the lab. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. yeah it was the lab. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, the lab. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Doug, we, Doug and I opened the Townhouse as well. Okay. But yeah, yeah. then we decided that we, we decided to sit down. We're having cocktails with her. She said, do you know what? I like you too, but your idea, rip, 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 rip. She literally ripped it up uh-huh. and said that idea, listen, we'll work on something. We'll treatment something for you guys. So they went, she went away back to her production team. The week later, we were filming a treatment, we were filming a pilot. Uh, 10 days after that, they were presenting it to Discovery. By the end of the month, we had a show. Wow. It was that quick. And then we were wow. filming... Maybe we started filming six to eight weeks later. Wow. And it was one of the craziest schedules I've ever been on. I can imagine. It was planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. It was a, um, I always say to people, be careful for what you wish for because it might come <laughs> true, right? I'll never forget one of our last episodes. We're in Milan. We had lots of pressures with our business at the time. Mm-hmm. And we're both sitting in Milan, just think, you know, trying to work out how we're going to move forward with our business, with our yeah. mobile cocktail business. And we're filming this segments in in Milan, sitting in this amazing spaces, just thinking, God, you know what? I would love to just be at home right now. I would really love to be at home right now. You know, so it's just. Be careful for what you wish for, because you may just get it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we were true. so tired. We were exhausted. We'd been on a road for like three weeks, two, three yeah. weeks, and it's just, 
it was nonstop. And then, you know, working on something I found about working on, on screen is just the, I, I take my hats off to people who work in TV because yeah. the energy that you expend, it looks really easy, but it really isn't. Right. Light camera action and you just got to flick it on. You just got to lick it. It's like, hi, how are you? Exactly, exactly. I imagine yeah. doing that. You're up and down all day, every day, up and down all day, every day. Like, oh, yeah, you guys are you presenters and stuff. You can keep it. Thank you very much. All <laughs> right. I'll just make my beautiful cocktails over here. I'll just be I'll just be here. I'll be making my cocktails over here and just have fun behind the bars with my people and so on and so forth. But um, no, it was uh, that was a great, uh, really good experience. So we filmed it here in New York, here in the U.S. It didn't show in the U.S. We're currently looking at ways of... Uh, resurrecting the show and okay. maybe bringing the show back. But uh, it just goes it, it goes to show you, if you dream it and you persevere and uh, you look for the right resources and, you know, I just, I've always had the attitude of, you know, other people do it, so can I. Right. I love that. You know what I mean? And I have my children have that attitude as well. Think big. Go for it. Go for it. We will figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah. Together. And then bring, you know, bring your community on. If it wasn't for my community mm-hmm. that I had, we would never have done the show. If it wasn't for the community that I had, I wouldn't have done a cocktail book. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of, I mean, we kind of talked about your why the where, but I want to get a little bit more granular in terms of, yeah. you know, we know you how you kind of came to live in New York and, and that type of thing. But, but how did you truly come to be working, playing and living where um, you currently are? Well, the interesting thing is the bar or the hospitality industry is not just a linear path or linear growth. Mm-hmm. There's lots of different things that you can do. Once you put your mind to it, there's so many things that you can do within the industry. One of the things I was doing when I was in London was I partnered with a dear friend, Mark Holmes, and we had a vodka company called Ulovka. Oh, okay. Remember? Yeah, yeah remember. the vodka brand. Yeah, yeah when yeah. the twisted bottle. So I was working on that with him. I was a shareholder as well and a partner. I was working on that in the UK. Louisa decided she wasn't moving back to the UK. So I approached the board and told them that, you know, I'd be moving to the US. And as the US is the largest spirits destination mm. um, in the world, especially for vodka at the time. Um, they said, well, let's open an office because we don't want to lose your talent. Let's open the office and let's see what, you know, what we can do as a business over there because they drink vodka, right? So I said, right. yeah, sure, I'll take it. And so I remember coming here and then realizing really quickly that I really had no idea the sheer scale right. of the role and what I had to do. Again, it's down to uh, the community that you build. I quickly found like-minded people who had small brands and I used them, worked through that network to A, understand the market, B, build relationships and three, really propel mm-hmm. the brand into a place that was for such a small brand, it moved really quickly and we did some great work. But again, community, if it hadn't been for that community, I don't know what I'd have done, but I learned quickly. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> right. definitely a school of hard knocks, but you know, I, it was, I, I, one thing I realized in the industry is, you know, it's people love to a buy from people. People love to communicate with people. People like to congregate uh, with people Yeah, and we are social beings. That's why we all move to cities. Yes. If we weren't, if we weren't social, we would all still live very rural. And, yeah. and very insular, you know? 
majority of people like to be around other people. So right, yeah, closer. Oh uh, yeah, so with the vodka, it was great because it was is a great tool for me to travel around, meet new people, yeah. build communities. So I use that as a vehicle to build my network around the country, which is great, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, navigating it as navigating it as um, a black. African Englishman was interested. I can imagine. <laughs> because you kind of walk into spaces without the preconceived ah, notions right. and the preconceived ideologies that have been set in place before. You just walk into the room. So you're like, uh, yeah, what? People are like, oh, shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing it this way. You should maybe think about, you know, uh, no, I'm here. You know what I mean? Whereas mm-hmm. back home, I would be doing most of the exactly the same thing, you know, because right. I, know, I understand right. the protocols and so on. Sure. I have a clue. Sure. I just went straight in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's so interesting you make that point. Yeah. Because there are, you know, there's this different culture ultimately, but it doesn't necessarily seem. Yeah. It's a whole different culture. There's a whole different culture. There's um the, uh, and growing up as an African, Afro-British man is, mm-hmm. Very different, I think, to growing up as an African American in absolutely America. Yeah, and um, it's just the the ways we navigate are different. And um, it's always funny whenever um, I'd open my mouth and start speaking, and people are like, "Did black people over there?" <laughs> I'm like, uh, there's a lot of us. A lot. <laughs> there's a lot of us, and I think yeah. it's only now when people are watching shows like Top Boy and yes, or that they're like, oh, and they they see Idris, they're like, oh, man. yes. Yeah, right. there's a lot of you guys. Yeah, exactly. That's a lot. I'm like, yep, and we're all taking over Hollywood right now. Right. <laughs> Hello. We're Hello. coming for you. We're coming for you. But uh, it's great. Exactly. This is a good segue into my glocal speak question. So mm. we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and how or why you come to value it as a glocal speak. So you can pick anywhere where you feel local, Brooklyn, streets of London, Ghana. What, what's, what's your glocal speak? I've actually created my own. Okay. And that I always say get involved, Rob. Yes. That is definitely much in my global speak. Okay. Uh, get involved, bruv, is really a community, you know, war cry and a community chant for people to yeah. get involved. Don't sit around waiting. Life awaits for no one. Get involved. Build community. Get involved. Yeah. Try something new. Get involved is something that I've always uh, said. And it's funny, all my friends, lots of my friends say it as well now. It's and cool. I see it. Yeah. And I see, yeah. I see brands use it. How to get involved. They just don't put bruv at the end. Bruv is my thing. Right. For real, for real. <laughs> right. Uh, I call everyone bruv because bruv is my community. So Sure. You know. Yeah. 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 That's my local. That's my local speak. You're here soon in Ghana, Charlie. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I love you. I mean, your IG used to be that, right? Exactly. Exactly. But now that's my. Ha- yeah. Until you until you got official. <laughs> and that's now my hash. That's now my hashtag. Hashtag. So you still see yeah. that. Hashtag. Yeah. Always end everything with hashtag get involved, bruv. Yeah, but it's a beautiful sentiment. And it's some something I do as well, just outside of everything is I, I try and take a moment every day just to 
focus on a small something small and the thing i do is i look mm. at i look for street art wherever i go because mm. then it takes mm-hmm. it just gives me that moment of admiring something beautiful that yeah in a concrete jungle uh people have people have spent time to create this yeah. piece yeah so i take pictures of it everywhere i was in colorado this week for example took pictures there yeah here in new york it's brilliant as a um, the seat is a great canvas uh, for artists, mm-hmm. so I see pieces all over. Mm-hmm. It's the 50th anniversary of hip hop, graffiti. Right, yeah. We've now moved on into a different kind of uh, space now. So for someone yeah. like me who appreciates outdoor art and people's expression of themselves, um, I take that moment every day as much as I can to observe to look that. Up. I take a picture, yeah, yeah, and I take a picture mm-hmm. of it and I snap it and you know and I share it with everyone. On yeah. my page, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of getting involved, bro. Getting involved, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you? So Black Mixellence. So yeah. how did how did you come to the project? So we've spoken to Tamika, and she, you yeah. know, she's kind of given how how it came about in terms of the Kingston Imperial was yeah. kind of in search of. But so tell us how you came to the project. How did that work? Ah, uh, it's interesting. How did I get involved? It, I mean, it's uh, it's in that COVID fog, right? It happened yes. it all happened during the lockdown, the COVID uh, lockdown. But it was it was uh, it was an interesting time because I was I spent a lot of time on Zoom calls, spent a lot of time communicating with other people around the world, and I remember when getting an email from. Yeah, from Kingston Imperial saying, hey, would you like to get involved in this book that we're writing? And I just thought, sure, uh, tell me more. And they said, oh, it's a book that tells the story of black bartenders from yesteryear and also focuses on black bartenders of now. And I just thought, wow, okay, sure, I'd like to do it. Who's behind it? And they said, Tamika Hall. And I, you know, I asked if they could tell me a bit, you know, I found out a little bit more about her. And I just thought, wow, it's interesting that someone who's not necessarily in the industry uh, like that has put this project together. I said, yeah, I'd definitely love to do it. I've done a lot of research Mm -hmm. in the past at our Spirits Conference, uh, Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. Uh, For many years, I was doing celebrations of black mixologists. Uh, the first one I did was for Tom Bullock, who features heavily in Black Mixolence, because mm-hmm. he wrote the first cocktail book in 1917. Mm-hmm. Obviously, what happens in at that time is is that prohibition is coming. So uh, the book disappears, but it's a brilliant bookend to the last golden era of uh, cocktail culture. And then, you know, there's the next book, I think, was written by Jess B. Harris, uh, who wrote mm. High on the Hog. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there's a big gap again. And then the next one was uh, Douglas, my friend Douglas Ankra, who wrote Shaken Instead. It was important for me to uh, get involved and really help direct and write this book. And then that was it. Before I did get involved, I got a call from a friend of mine who's a chef, Ariel Contreras Fox. She is the exec chef, I think, for a restaurant group at the moment. But she was bringing out a book as well with with Kingston Imperial. And she said, oh, there's this project. They're going to reach out to you to mm. be the mixology lead. And, you know, I appreciated her for that. I need to get her a copy of the book. We haven't had a chance to connect yet because she's the busiest woman in showbiz. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but um yeah, getting in the book was getting involved in the book was great. Uh working with Tamika was fantastic. It allowed us to really create something which was I think it's a great start for the uh, subject talking about black people's contributions to 
cocktail culture. Everywhere I go, I challenge friends of mine who have a big voice um, in the industry to write a cocktail book. People like Tiffany Barrier, for example, who's based out of uh, Georgia. I always tell her she's got to write a book because she's got uh, so much to talk about when it comes to uh, the black space. And so what I, one of the things I appreciate um, about the book is, you know, cocktails translate as a personal journey and a personal story for a lot of people. And it's great giving them the outlet to show their creative process and uh, power. The book would have been uh, much bigger, but due to COVID restraints, uh, we had to shrink back some of the content. But Oh, yeah, it's okay. a great start, and I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to what we can do from this. And I hope it really inspires other black and brown bartenders or creatives to write cocktail books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Black Mixologist Club, when did that happen? Because I feel like there was a time when bartenders were bartenders, and then they became mixologists. So shed some light on the history of the Black Mixologist Club and how mixologist became the term that we now typically assign to bartenders. Um, mixologists were, I mean, the word mixology has been around since the 1800s. Okay. Bizarrely, it's not, it's nothing new. It's just okay. been, it just got resurrected. I think uh, the first time you see it being brought back into the vocabulary was in the 1980s in England. Uh, the Black Mixologist Clubs was in the 1800s, late 1800s in at the Howe Theatre. Mm. Funny enough, I was involved uh, heavily with the team behind the Howe Theatre when it was reopening. We did an event in the Howe Theatre when it reopened mm. to celebrate Tom Bullock, who wasn't part of the Black Mixologist Club, but being honorary, an sure. honorary, he was an honorary member. We gave him that and we gave an award actually to one of his family uh, members for contribution, lifetime contributions to the cocktail industry and celebrating him after he passed. Um, I think Tom Bullock died in the late 60s. So the Black Mixologist Club was a place where Black Mixologists could meet and congregate and share their ideas. Prior to that, there were mixologists working all over the DMV area, uh, for example, Juleps were a big thing. There's stories we've, you've got to read the book. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to give you all of the tea from the book. So you have to yeah. buy the book and read it. Yeah, buy it, <laughs> books. Buy it. <laughs> but, uh, buy the book. There, we write about the stories of the julep and how some black mixologists actually managed to buy their freedom from slavery out mm-hmm. of their craft. Mm-hmm. Um, they were true mixologists. They created these grand, beautifully garnished uh, cocktails and not juleps as well as you know. I have examples of uh, juleps in the book, like the Piedmont cocktail, which are nod to a julep using Duce Cognac. But back then, you know, their craft was, they had to stand out from the crowd. So they, their attention to detail and their skill and their craft was second to none. Right. Um, I always say, as a lot of a lot of classic cocktails that you see uh, now, like the julep and so on, they were an old fashions and stuff. I personally believe a lot of those were created on the plantations. Yeah. And then they translated and then they moved into the bars. But because black people weren't allowed to write down yep. their recipes, because uh, exactly. if you could read or write during slavery, uh, it was a death sentence. So your claim to creating those cocktails were lost and... So he who writes it down owns, or they who write things down own the narrative, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I keep telling everyone, write your story. Yes. 
let's start documenting it. I think. Yes. So we're everyone's doing that. I'm I'm trying to get Ian Burrell, who's a dear friend of mine, to write a rum book. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, come on, Bob. He is he's the rum god. I'm surprised he still hasn't written his book yet, but he'll get there slowly but surely. Right, slowly but surely. Well, I mean, that's awesomeness. So thinking about, just thinking in the global context, because we've talked yeah. a lot about the US, Europe, more so, you know, UK, US. And so in terms of like the cocktail culture and the growth of the industry, what do you see happening globally? And particularly in Africa, because that's near and dear to my heart and in, in your heart, you know, just thinking about we have our own local spirits. What what do you see? What do you see bubbling? What are young people looking at? What's happening there? Listen, Africa is on fire! <laughs> it is on fire right now. If you look at all the stats of people going and traveling around Africa, you'll be absolutely amazed. There are studies showing that the largest growth areas around West Africa will occur over the next, I'd say, 50 years. By the turn of this century, 45% of the population will be living around that region, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. When I've, over the last, I'd say, 15 years, been spending a lot of time uh, with a bar community in Ghana, um, I ship uh, cocktail equipment and tools Mm -hmm. and everything to them. I go, I do training classes with them. I felt like a proud dad recently. One of the bars that I'd been working with, they were nominated one of the 50 best bars in the world. Nice. But no, it was such a great feeling just seeing that those folks are Really Which bar so we can tell people to go there. Front back. Front back. Oh, front back. Yeah. Front back has been Proper. nominated and is in the 50 best bars in the world, which is okay. amazing. Yes. It's an amazing accolade. Um, they've been recognized by Tales of the Cocktail as well as a bar that's really uh, crafting and building a cocktail culture in mm-hmm. Africa. Around South Africa, the Congo, all around like Nigeria. Nigeria has its own cocktail week, its own cocktail festival. Oh, now. wow. Okay. Bar, so, you, okay. you know, you should check that out. Uh-huh. Uh, last year, I had the pleasure of visiting Nairobi. Their cocktail culture is growing all around that South and Southeast uh, region. Gin is really, has really paved the way for people to appreciate ingredients from the continent. Okay. There's, um, a great, I'm a big fan of a petitier. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my parents always used to frown upon me uh, drinking it. And I'm like, yo, this stuff is This is good. our drink, right? <laughs> and do you know what really annoyed me once? I was leaving the airport. I Actually, when um, I was with Louisa, and, uh, we were in the village drinking our petitier. We said, oh, we'll buy some when we get to the airport. Walk to the airport. Nothing. No. They had Johnny Walker, Great Goose, Absolute, Bacardi. This, the, I'm like, oh, where's the appetizer? They say, oh, we don't have that here. And I'm like, wow. There's no way you can leave the Caribbean without buying the local. Uh, right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Why do we not get involved? Elevate. Right. With our own spirit. I don't even. I don't even think you don't even need to elevate. Just take it from the village or and sell it. Sure, and put it in. You yes. know what I mean? That's how we. That's how we drink it. But um, they're now the local spirits, like um, the sobolos, the uh, the hibiscus that you see a lot everywhere. People are buying it. We have our own styles of cocktails, which are uh, what are they? Chaplains. Oh, yes. Uh, the, Chapman, Chap- yes. Chapman, the Chapman's yes. cocktails. Yeah. Um, I, there's a nod to a Chapman cocktail actually in the book. It's okay. quite funny. And 
we also in uh, across South Africa, people are using great ingredients in all of their. They have these uh, drinks called Cape uh, Cape Aperitifs, which are aperitif. Ah, so it's drink. like a Cape Town kind of thing. It's a Cape Is that Town the idea? thing. Yeah, it's really cool. Okay, local brandies, local agave spirits. I I actually used to say that the future is Africa. I did a seminar at Tales a few years ago about you know, Africa's the future. I'm actually planning to do one uh, this year, Africa's now. Yes. And uh, Africa's here. It's now. It's really now. It's, it's exciting. It's dynamic. I'm spending a lot of time communicating and working with a lot of the crews across and a lot of the teams across the continent. I've just started working with this training school in Sierra Leone. Mm. We're, we're trying to really build up their nice. uh, cultural knowledge and their skill set because what's happening as well we're getting a lot of people coming in as tourists yes and so trying to elevate uh hospitality i think really enable people to earn a great living and also you know you give a person uh, a fishing rod they can go and fish and feed their family you give a person a shaker and a spoon they can go and make tips for their family. <laughs> that too. Same analogy. So yeah, yeah. my mission is I'm going to spend a lot more time on the continent. I want to help fuse all these communities. They're all working mm-hmm. in silos mm-hmm. at the moment. I want to try and fuse them together. Yeah. I think that was what I was brought here to do. So I'm going to get involved and do that. Bruv. I think that, that <laughs> speaks a lot to mindset, right? And so I'm going to ask you about mindset, your mindset hack. So what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? Now, this is one that you practice, one that you know of, or one that you can imagine. Yeah, mine is, as you know, it's get involved, bruv. That is my whole mindset. It is such a, for me, even when I say it, I feel a sense of empowerment, Mm, um, a -hmm. sense of achievement, a sense of I can do anything. Mm-hmm. Getting involved, bruv, always ensures that some, as long as the intention's right, yeah, things can be things can be done, yeah. Because people, you know, people like in, in the general schemes of things, people like to help. I, I find that especially here in the US, in, in New York in particular, mm-hmm. um, if you have a great idea and you have the passion and the drive, everyone wants to be involved in your success. Yeah. It's true. Just don't mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because when you get up there, they say, wow, look, we helped make that happen. Go yeah. on. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, that's my that's my life hack. I, okay. I, and, I, and I also, every morning I wake up and I give thanks. Yes. I give thanks and I give thanks three times. Just sit with myself for a minute and then I, I get up, tell myself to get involved. There Bro. you go. Right. Get involved, bro. Okay, so the Colin that is not the traveler, I mean, like you said, you don't feel like you work a day in your life. So when you're not on the the spirits trail necessarily, who are you? Are you a reader? Are you a watcher? Are you a listener? And what are some of your favorite reads, watches or listens that you'd like to share? Actually, uh, reads. I, I like reading. I enjoy reading. I've always been an avid reader. I don't listen as much um, podcasts and stuff as okay. um, a lot of um, other people do. In my role as the director of multicultural and LGBTQ plus advocacy, I, I realised that there was uh, there was no there was no one that was doing it before me. So you know, I read I read a lot on what other people did uh, before. There's a great book called. The Pepsi Challenge, the real oh, okay. Pepsi Challenge by uh, Stephanie Caporell. 
who talks about the inspirational story about the breaking the color barrier in American business because Pepsi was the first company to have a dedicated black African-American division mm. in America. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pepsi was. And they sent these uh, HBCU uh, students, graduates, sorry, across the South to grow Pepsi's you know, uh, visibility, all that. and visibility mm-hmm. and everything. I also enjoy reading a lot of books about being black and British because uh, mm. that's my foundational yeah. um, knowledge. Uh, there's an amazing speaker. His name is Akala, A-K-A-L-A. Yep. He is an amazing speaker. If you get the opportunity to just YouTube him, he's uh, he's on Instagram as well. He's amazing. He he's also he's a poet. He wrote a book called Natives that I'd love to use as a reference for for anyone. And he's you know it's so funny because I bumped into him maybe three years ago with my son Jonah, and Jonah knew who he was. And Jonah's what at the time Jonah I think was seventeen, and Jonah's like, oh, that that's a guy. Said, so, yeah, I'm glad that you recognise who he is because he's such a prominent figure in the culture in the UK. Sure. Yeah. And he's growing as well over here. There's a great new book called, what is it? The Good Immigrant that I've started reading by uh, Nikesh Shakla. Okay. And it tells the story of the different immigrant groups that came or come into the U, uh, the UK over time. And it's brilliant uh, just to see the differences, but then the same experiences that uh, people have, you know, still community, still trying to build a better future. Emigrant or expat communities also try and one of the things they try and do is they try to build independence. They're more entrepreneurs within emigrant groups than any other groups. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I use, and you know, those are some of the things that I've been reading at the moment. I read a lot of cocktail books, obviously, because that's, I I have to. (laughs) Those are great. Yeah. Yeah, and there's uh, lots of food books as well. I love I love cookbooks. There's uh, the Afro Vegan um, that I've been reading a lot at the moment, using some re- recipes out there. And you would love it as well, being the vegan that you are. <laughs> I don't know how you managed to live in Ghana being a vegan. <laughs> well, I'm a pesca vegan, so pesca I'll do. Vegan yeah, now. so I'll okay. eat fish, and then okay. everything else is vegan. So that's the way I can survive. And you know, I quite actually. I don't think that my constitution is happy with just being a vegan. Like I've, yeah. I've tried going on stints like that, but I think, you know, everyone determines what works for them. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there's a, uh, he wrote another great book that you uh, should get. You should get The Cooking Gene. The and, Cooking uh, Gene. Oh, the Cooking okay. Gene, yeah. It's uh, by Michael, uh, Michael Tweedy, who I met I met him two and a half years ago. I went to a conference that was put on by Aston Berry. If you don't know who Aston Berry is as well, follow Aston Berry. Mm-hmm. She is the collectress on Instagram. She's amazing. And I met him there and he just tells the story of the foodways, how we ended up getting to where we where we are now. You know, even a, a simple dish like jollof rice. Yeah. You know, what's the base? Saffron, right. tomato, rice. And that went up through the north um, to through with the Moors. The Moors took that into Spain. And that's the basis of paella. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People don't even know that. 
It's the same. Yeah, it's the same rice exactly. They, and then they added exactly. They added the um, they added their seafood and so on to it. It came to New Orleans. What do we have? Gumbo. Jambalayas and gumbos. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah, yeah. especially. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, those are great. This is such a rich show notes episode, <laughs> folks. So you're gonna have a lot of nice tips from the show notes. So, Colin. Yes. We're getting to the end of our conversation. Mm. This has been so wonderful. I'm so Thank happy we got to time. catch up. I know, right? I know, right? So, before we sign off, do you have any last words to share with our? audience and where can we find you uh you can find me on instagram Mm -hmm. i am cocktail colin at cocktail colin Mm -hmm. also you can email me my email is very simple it's at cocktail uh, it's cocktail colin at gmail.com very easy everyone can remember that i hope Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and it's one l in colin not two and just in uh, parting thoughts you know life's really short we're here for a moment and so just get involved bruv yeah you know, if ever you need to, if ever you feel that you're dead end, you don't know what to do, get involved, bro. Build community. Community will help you get through it. And, yeah, you know, speak to Speak to the people around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd be surprised at what you find. And just try and be open and as transparent as uh, you can be. And use your voice. An open, a closed mouth, sorry, does not get fed. It's an old mm-hmm. African proverb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you need something, say it. Talk about yes. it and get involved uh, because if you don't, no one can read your mind. But, yeah. Right, exactly. There you have it, folks. So this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us Tuesdays with new episodes at GlocalCitizensPod.com or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon. You get the idea. Please do us a favor, like, share, Subscribe, tell a friend. That's getting involved, folks. Uh, <laughs> get involved. That's get involved. Get involved, bro. <laughs> tell a friend. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Bye for now. <laughs>